uh, first session laying out kind of an overview of um, biblical theology in this age, the age to come, the day of the Lord, and and, uh, these things. And then uh, the second session just lay out the Jewish expectations for the kingdom of God and and how uh, how the scriptures uh, present the age to come, what it uh, what it uh, how it unfolds, right? How it's administrated. Is it going to be like? Is it just going to be a big global Woodstock? Just kind of the glory of God covering the earth like the waters cover the sea, and we're all like. <clears throat> And or is there going to be like structure to it and, and administration and and form to it and so uh, and so the scriptures lay out the latter but how does that form take shape and and uh, so that's what we want to work through and that way we kind of have just a, a broad picture of when Jesus says eternal life what's he have in mind what what do the apostles have in mind when when uh, you know, they're arguing over who will be, uh, or no, when the when the, with the rich young ruler, you know, and what must I do to gain life, and, and uh, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and goes away sad, and they're like, it's hard for people to be saved. And Jesus says, with God, it's man, it's impossible. God, all things are possible. We've left everything for you, and you've left everything at the regeneration of all things, the renewal of all things. You have left these things will sit on twelve thrones with me ruling over the tribes of Israel. So how how do they view eternal life and the renewal of all things and and how that'll be administrated out. And so uh so that's what we want to talk uh talk through um just setting up for the next few days of more kinda what do you do with that then questions so um <clears throat> so the most difficult part um about saying okay so what's the age to come going to be like the age to come is going to be the kingdom of god and so the kingdom of god is one of those difficult phrases and i and i haven't quite figured out why it's so difficult like there's we don't have a problem when we talk about the resurrection or the day of the lord or you know, some of these other terms, but then we say the kingdom, and all of a sudden, everybody's all like, you know, like this, and, and I'm like, well, I mean, you know, there's there's only a few passages that are a little, a little iffy on the kingdom, and those are fairly easy to, you know, work through. There's just as many iffy passages on the resurrection you can interpret in a present sense, or other ones, like, why is the kingdom like the flashpoint? I don't understand but it is so um so we'll just set aside any you know like malicious intentions or anything and we'll just say it's a it's just a confusion of language um and uh so the confusion of language um is mainly centered around the fact that the kingdom of god that phrase isn't used in the old testament right and uh and so but you have the kingdom used. And they're used in different contexts. In the Old Testament, kingdom gets used in, in different uh, formats in which you have, uh, you know, like Psalm 103, the Lord's established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Daniel 4, you know, the, the, his kingdom rules from generation to generation. He does as it pleases with the kings of men and such. And and then you have like Daniel 7, then God will hand the kingdom over to the saints of the Most High and they will rule, etc. And so you have like these kind of, you have these dichotomies between uh, a kingdom that God rules over everything, the heavens and the earth, versus a kingdom that's just on the earth. You have a kingdom that rules from generation to generation for all time. Then you have a kingdom that's handed over at the end of the age, you know, initiated at the day of the Lord. And, and, and what do you do with the terminology? So the, the, the most straightforward thing to do is relate to it as it was in the beginning, that you have the universal kingdom 
in which on the seventh day God sat enthroned in, in, uh, in his temple in heaven and ruling over the heavens and the earth, and he delegated to man to have dominion over the earth. You know, Psalm 115, the heavens belong to the Lord, the earth he's given to the sons of men. So you have a delineation between the two, and and just the general, you know, uh, Hebrew Malkuth, or, or the general concept of kingdom when it's applied to the, the Father ruling over all creation is, you know, his kingdom. But then you have the phrase that's not used in the Old Testament that appears in the New Testament that is simply a Second Temple Jewish phraseology, okay, that gets used... Um, you know, like we say rad or something that it's like, oh, you were born in the, you grew up in the 80s, I see. You know, so it's a it's a time-conditioned phrase that was used during Second Temple Judaism to reference the Messianic kingdom, the kingdom of God. And, uh, and this is almost universally uh, acknowledged within scholarship that this is how the first century Jews used that phrase, kingdom of God. It just meant the Messianic kingdom. Um, then you, you, the, the conflict comes into, well, did Jesus realize that in the first coming? Did he, did he, uh, did he inaugurate or, or start the kingdom of God at the first coming? What was the Jewish eschatological hope? And as a good friend of mine says, ask any Jew if the kingdom was established at the first coming, and he'll laugh at you and point to the Temple Mount and call you a dumb Gentile. I, I, it's, not, it's not a matter of condescension. It's just like, I, I, no. <laughs> but we'll get, in, we'll get into that uh, a little more. So I, I just put a little diagram um, just so it's not like um, I'm creating some sort of strange system. We're just getting different passages that reference different things. They reference who God the Father versus who the Messiah, right? One ruling over all creation, the throne in the height of the heavens, the other ruling on the earth. He was the first Adam, the Messiah is the last Adam. He does right what Adam messed up, right? And he... he, he uh, he uh, administrates the, the governance of God over the earth in righteousness at the end of the age. And so, uh, and then you have what? You have all things, right? The, the universal kingdom rules over all things versus the, the eschatological messianic kingdom of God rules uh, specific to the earth. You have when, you have present, or, you know, all generations, was and is and is to come. And then you have verses of the future, like Isaiah, Isaiah 2, Isaiah 11. He'll be anointed with spirit of wisdom and knowledge from the root of Jesse. He'll, he'll, he'll strike the earth and establish justice and, and rule on a holy mountain and these kinds of things. Daniel 9, that kind of stuff. So it's future. Then you have where, like where's the throne? You have the throne in the high of the heavens. You have the throne on the earth. And, on Mount Zion, he'll rule before his elders gloriously. He'll set up a, when the Son of Man comes, he'll sit on his heavenly throne or throne in heavenly glory and and uh, gather the nations before him. So, so my my point is just to say, look, <clears throat> just to establish some reasonability um, that when when the phrase Kingdom of God comes up, in everybody's mind is the Messianic Kingdom. Pretty straightforward. And the conclusion of history, there's a number of passages that are, you know, that, uh, you know, like Luke 10, where it's you go out and preach the kingdom of God's at hand. If they don't, if they don't accept you, shake the dust off your feet. Why? Because it'll be more bearable on that day than for Sodom and Gomorrah, right? So it's a clear, you know, the kingdom of God and the and the day of the Lord are are uh, are uh, synonymous in their mind that uh, they, they happen at the same time. Um, <clears throat> so that's just a little qualification to go. We can work through later the kingdom of God's at hand within you, upon you, and we can work through those passages and, and just work out the context of them, but just kind of set those aside and, and assume that those passages are not a good thing for believers individually presently. All three of those passages are a bad thing spoken to unbelievers 
plural in the future, right? Kingdom of God at hand, bad thing. Kingdom of God come upon you, bad thing. Kingdom of God among you, bad thing. Like lightning from the east to the west and days of Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah. So uh, all these are... Uh, uh, are fairly easy to unwind and straightforward, but you, uh, you get a strange idea and you wrap it around and you stack them one on top of, of another and twist them and put them exactly on their head and say the exact opposite of what they're saying and you put it with a lot of zeal and, you know, and start praying in tongues over it and it's like, all right, man, uh, okay. So, uh, you know, I just, it's hard to keep your head level in the situation and go, um, I don't think that's what it's saying, man. Okay, so, but we'll, I gotta move on. So, uh, so, the kingdom of God, what we're looking at in the age to come is, is what is the age to come going to look like? So the age to come is going to be structured, uh, in a redeemed way in which you have the, the the nations of the earth that have gone awry and and turned like sheep away from God that God is going to redeem and regenerate and so uh, you're going to have a transnational kingdom you're going to have nations upon the earth that again the end is a restoration of the beginning right it's a renewal a, a, a regeneration of all things but uh, it, it's not it's not a replica of the beginning. And so you, you, you have a, a structure to it in paradise in the age to come that isn't like it was in the garden. And that structure is based on the unfolding of redemptive history. And so as Adam is the father of all nations that come out of the Tower of Babel, if the Tower of Babel hadn't happened, then you wouldn't have a transnational kingdom, a, a kingdom that rules over many nations, tribes, and tongues. Uh, in the age to come, but as the son of man or the son of Adam, uh, the Messiah will rule as the Lord of all the earth and, and all of the peoples and kingdoms. So Daniel 7, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And like Psalm 98, sing to the Lord a new song, for he's done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. And so the Messiah is presented as the arm of the Lord throughout the prophetic writings, because the arm of the Lord is, is the one that is the agent on behalf by which God does his work. Roll up your sleeves and bear your arms before all the nations. Anyway, so uh, so the Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love, his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth burst into jubilant song with music. So again, most of the most of the rejoicing and uh, uh, song. Uh, uh, psalms and prophecies like Isaiah 12 and uh, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 55, all the burst into songs, sing a new song to the Lord. All these are in the tail end of clear messianic prophecies and, and, and declarations of the age to come. And then you get the praise the Lord and rejoice in his salvation. And... Uh, so this was this was how the Jews understood they would when they were singing hymns at the festivals the the hymns they they assumed that they would be singing these hymns when the Messiah came in from God and they would usher the Messiah into Jerusalem to to these hymns that they were singing at the festivals and so all of the liturgy and everything was oriented around messianic expectation and the coming of the King of God in the age to come. So it wasn't just an, an abstract, we praise you God because you're glorious and awesome, right? It, was, it had concrete form to it. We praise you God because you're glorious and awesome. You're going to judge the nations of the earth. You're going to gather the exiles of Israel. You're going to 
open the heavens, the angels are going to ascend and descend. Woo-hoo! You see what I'm saying? Like, it's got a little bit different of a feel than, you float on clouds in glory forever, and I love you, you know? <laughs> Which isn't, I'm not saying that's bad, I'm just saying it's got a little bit, uh, the, the, the oracles give it a, uh, give it a uh, more concreteness. Uh, so Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. He'll separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. In Revelation 11, the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. So you have a, a framework for the new earth in the age to come that has many nations involved, Revelation 21. The nations, the kings of the nations of the earth bring their glory into the new Jerusalem. <clears throat> so it's not only transnational, it's also Israelitic or Israelocentric. Okay? It's centered around Israel or it's Israelitic, it's characterized by a delineation between Israel and the nations. Okay, so, um, and this is just because the, the um, it's just the way that God chose to unfold redemptive history, right? He chooses a man. He didn't have to after the Tower of Babel. Like, he could have just said, he, he didn't have to choose a man to administrate the day of the Lord, right? He could have just done the whole day of the Lord thing and the opening the heavens and the judging with the angels and he could have just done that on his own, right? But he chose a man on his behalf, right? That's the idea of a Messiah. He's the, he's the agent of God that does for God, right? Like John 5, the Father has entrusted me with judgment. He's also entrusted me with life. And so the, the Messiah is the one that, that God entrusts with judgment and eternal life to administrate that on his behalf. So he could have just excluded a son of Adam from the picture, but he chose to do it this way, to, to execute the day of the Lord through the man he's appointed, to judge the living and the dead by the man he's appointed. And he's proven it by, judge, by raising him from the dead. And so... He chose to do that, and then he chose, after the Tower of Babel, to take a man and say, I'm going to make a nation out of you, and through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. And so, you know, Abraham's number of generations back from his forefather, he understands blessing as it was in the garden, uh, under, you know, divine favor and and the hope of eternal life, for the tree of life, right? So... So blessing is, is understood as, as the age to come and when righteousness is restored upon the earth and these things. And so he chose a man and said, look, the age to come is going to unfold like this. It's going to be Israelitic or Abrahamic, right? And, and eternal life and the resurrection and the new earth and the glory of God that covers the earth as the waters cover the sea will be administrated through the descendants of Abraham. <clears throat> so Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord has risen, will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Your gates shall be opened continually day and night. They shall not be shut that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that, that, that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations. You shall nurse at the breasts of kings. You shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer the mighty one of Jacob. So you get the self-identification with one ethnic group, primarily based upon ethnicity, in which you get over 300 times a, a self 
identification as the God of Israel, right? And this is just kind of one of my little things that tweak on me, especially like when I hear the the names of God and Jehovah Jireh and all these, and I'm like, number one, at least say it like a Hebrew says it. Number two, all those names are like one or two times in the Old Testament, but you, you, you don't have Yahweh Yisrael, right? You don't, you don't have that one ever thrown into the mix, that instead of like a couple times, you have over 300 times, right? And so... And so you you have a very clear identification with with one ethnic group, and and that's a, you know that starts to become a a little bit bigger and bigger pill for a Gentile to swallow as as you start to move forward. But it's kind of one of those things that you got to come to terms with, and it is what it is. So rejoice, O daughter of Zion, shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So here you have in the oracle a quotation of the covenant with Abraham from Genesis 15, in which God says to Abraham, I will give you this land. From the arm of the river to the wadi of Egypt, right? So the river, everybody knows, is the Euphrates to Egypt. And so that covenant is reiterated through the oracle that the age to come is going to be delineated according to the covenant made with Abraham. So the age to come, the Messiah is going to rule from the river to the ends of the earth. So you have a real clear delineation and Abrahamic and Israelitic delineation between Israel and the nations in the age to come, that this is how things will be structured. Uh, page three. Mark 15. <clears throat> so also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, right? So the Christ or the Messiah is understood as the King of Israel, and like uh, you know, when uh, when he comes to Nathaniel and and uh, introduced to Nathaniel, and he's like, "Yeah, I saw you under the fig tree earlier." Nathaniel's like, "You are the Christ, the the King of Israel," you know, and Jesus is like, "Oh, you believe? Because I told you you're under the fig tree." You'll see greater things than this, you know, angels ascending and descending with the heavens opened. And and so, you you know, Jesus gives a little confirmation on, on the on the activity of God and the Holy Spirit. But it's it's always it's always understood that, yeah, he's the king of the Jews. Like there's never any undermining of that. There's never any subversion of that. That's that's always just, yes, the, the, the Messiah is the king of the Jews. And of course, that doesn't uh, that doesn't uh, denigrate the other nations. It just says that there's a distinction between the two. Acts one, Jesus appeared to them over a period of forty days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So when they met together, they asked him, "Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel?" So you get a number of passages, you know, that he's pulling from, like you know, uh, like uh, Amos nine and. And, uh, you know, I'll return, I'll rebuild the, David's fallen tent and the nations will come to seek me or like uh, um, Psalm 102, you know, I will return at the appointed time to rebuild Zion. So there's, there's all these uh, prophetic oracles that you, you have a rebuilding of, of Israel only in righteousness, you know. Isaiah 16, a king will rule in righteousness and justice. And uh, and so this is just to show that this, after 40 days of teaching on the kingdom of God, there's never any, like, uh, undermining of, of how the age to come will be in relation to Israel and the nations, right? 40 days resurrected Jesus. It... Obviously, there's probably lots of questions, but there's one question that gets recorded, right? 
which that is, is that, is it, what's the sign of your return and the close of the age? When's this thing culminating? The day of the Lord, you know? And, and so, are you at this time going to do it? Restore the kingdom of Israel? And he says, the Father has said it by his own date, right? There's an affirmation that it's going to happen according to the Father's timetable. But that's not for you to know that set time for you is to be a witness from Jerusalem to, to the ends of the earth. So, so again, you have, a, you have an affirmation of, of uh, the, the Israel-centered vision for the age to come. Now, what, what then makes the Jews special? Okay, because you'll get this. You'll read commentaries and you'll, you'll read books by Messianic Jews and this stuff, and it's like, the uniqueness of the Jewish people, and there's always this like, the Jews are special. They're unique. They're but there's never any like like what particularly like it's always just this kind of strange mystical uniqueness. And maybe if I put a prayer shawl on, I'll get it. You know, and it's not mystical. It's it's very straightforward, and it's based on birthright. It's based on administration, and so you know. Uh, like Isaiah, the end of Isaiah 63, you've been a father to us. You led us through the wilderness with Moses and all this. You let us, you let us go astray. Oh Lord, will you rend the heavens and come down, and make your enemies a fire pot? You know, going into Isaiah 64, and and uh, and then you have Deuteronomy 32, which is the song of Moses, which gets rehearsed in the synagogues every week, which which is the other place you have the reference to God as Father. And so there's this. There's this view of the God of Israel as the father of Israel, and Israel is my son. And, and, and so the, the point of the age to come is understood as an inheritance in which Israel is, is the, the firstborn son among the nations that administrates the, the inheritance of the age to come. And so this is just called birthright. This is, this is what happens with firstborns, Okay. And it gets really clearly articulated out with with the Messiah. And, of course, it's assumed that the Messiah is the seed that comes from Abraham and rules over this nation. So it's assumed that Israel is part of the seed with the Messiah. And as the Messiah is the firstborn and executes the age to come, so also is Israel part of that. So, like Psalm 89, I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. My faithfulness and my loving kindness will be with him, and in my name his horn will be exalted. I shall also set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He will cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I also shall make him my firstborn, right? And so Hebrews 12 actually, uh, uh, I forget what's the, actually lays that out directly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so see, see that no one is sexually immoral or is like, or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his birthright or his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Right, so the birthright is understood as the inheritance rights, as the or the technical term. Okay, is primogeniture. It's a it's it's the technical term for for birthright. The executor of state of a state, and this is a this is a reality that's universal to human beings. Right? Why why in the vast majority of cultures, disconnected from each other different lands, different races, over time, history, you have the same common phenomenon of the, of the eldest child administrate, having particular uh, responsibilities for the carrying on of the heritage and, and the family estate, right? Why is it like this? This isn't a tradition of man. It is what it is because human beings are made in the image of God. Like, trace that thing back and it goes right back to one man one woman and that's why it is what it is <laughs> you have little kids and after a while you're constantly trying to answer the why with the final <laughs> this is why there's no more why to it it is that's what it is that's why it is what it is 
right? And so this is the nature of why why human beings structure it this way is because Adam had a son in his likeness, Genesis 5, when he had Seth in his own image, because God made human beings in his likeness, in his own image, and it's just the way we is because it's the way he is, right? So this is the nature of, it's why we have this funny thing called birthright or primogeniture, and it's what the scriptures mean by firstborn, okay? They don't have in mind birth order. Like he's the, he's the first birth order of the kings of the earth. That's not, that's not what the covenant's about. It's not what Psalm 89's about. It means that he's the firstborn of the kings of the earth, right? So as the kings of the earth administrate the governance over the, he's the firstborn who administrates the administrators, right? And he's the, he's the divine executor of state that, that distributes and, and, and makes it all happen. And it's not one of those, like, because he's more, well, I mean, he is more special and awesome, but it, it's more of that kind of, it's because this is how it's ordained. God chose it, you know, like, I was, I was the eldest. I mean, there's just two of us, but I was the eldest, so my father passed away, and it had been clearly communicated. I'm the eldest. I have to deal with all that and hold for my sister, you know, until she turned 21, and I have to, and so he passed away, and it was two years of two letters from the IRS because he was completely crooked, and it was just like, and it was like, I mean, it was just so much work to deal with all that and administrate it in righteousness and integrity and not, you know. And, but I was honored to, but my sister never in the situation felt slighted. You know, she always knew that my father loved us both, but she, and she didn't want to deal with it all, you know. And so, but it was, there wasn't, but there was a recognition of differences of role and responsibility in, in the equation. So, likewise, the we're all sons and daughters of God, but there's one son that he's placed his divine approval on, you understand? And he's proven that by raising him from the dead, and he's the one who will raise the dead, and he's the one who will judge the earth. No other human being will do that. It's not appointed for any of us to do that. It doesn't matter how radical and zealous we are, how hard we try, how awesome we are. None of us, you understand? Because <laughs> it was ordained for this one man. And however the Lord orchestrated that out, he raised him up and proved to the rest of us that we're all still under sin. Right? Because all of us will die and face judgment, and that's just how it is. So, <clears throat> so Psalm 72, this gives a little bit more of a feel. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. He will rule from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. So you have the royal son, the Messiah, set in context to ruling over uh, the earth with the delineation from the Euphrates to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. All nations will be blessed through him. Right, so you get the quotation of Genesis 12, 22. All nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. So it, it, with that diagram, the, the point of the, the Christ, he's the firstborn of of all the human beings and the kings of the earth uh, within Israel, which is then the firstborn of all the nations as king of the Jews. And he administrates the glory of God and the inheritance of the kingdom to the nations. God doesn't just, God doesn't just open the heavens and give his glory and raise the dead in the nations and bless the nations with eternal life on his own. He does it through his son because he's appointed his son as the executor of a state of the earth, right? And this is the one he's chosen to administrate it. <clears throat> Isaiah 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse and his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, right? So this is one of those with Isaiah 42 that when they see the spirit coming down and resting on 
Jesus, and this is my son, right, in whom I'm well pleased. So it's like quoting Isaiah 42, and this is my son, you know, Psalm 89, Psalm 72, Psalm 2. This is the one who will sit on my holy hill, and I will give the nations as his possession, and he will crush the wicked with a rod of iron, right? Uh, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. And he'll raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. <clears throat> Assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. So, again, you have a, a clear an oracle concerning the age to come, that this is how it will be administrated out. Colossians 1, he's the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So again, when they read firstborn, again, we're not, we're not reading birth order. We're reading birthright, right? So, under the messianic birthright, you get the Jewish birthright, the eldest son within the family of nations, right? The eldest son within the family of human beings, like Ephesians 3, we pray to the Father from whom all fatherhood in the heavens and the earth flows. And so Messiah is the eldest, the eldest of all the children of the earth, the children of the resurrection. Israel is the eldest of the nations. And uh, Ephesians 4 uh, you get the you get that laid out directly. You'll sh- say to Pharaoh, "Thus says the Lord: Israel is my firstborn son, and I shall say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refer, refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son." So, uh, so you get a, a demonstration in the plagues of of a a a a confirmation of how God takes possession of this one nation in anticipation of the age to come. And then, so then when you read, you know, all, all the, like kind of the, the climax of the interpretation of what's happening at the cross with Paul in Romans 11, you get the, he hardened the nation so that he could take one nation for his own. Now he's hardened that nation so that he can take from all the other nations of his own, right? But there's never any, like, disqualification of the first one, the firstborn son, you, you understand? So the firstborn son, again, birthright, not birth order. I mean, it's birth order also, and it's not like birth order is the prerequisite, right? Because you get lots of instances where, you know, Jacob versus Esau, Esau forfeited his birthright. Esau took it, and, and, and so it can pass on, but it's generally according to uh, the birth order. Jeremiah 31, with weeping they shall come, with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. And you get lots of intertestamental uh, literature where there's references to it. So this gives... This gives uh, a simple, straightforward reason why there's distinction between Jew and Gentile uh, uh, even after there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. Okay? We'll, we'll hit on that more tomorrow. No, no, no difference in quality of inheritance. Everybody receives the glory according to, uh, according to the reward, according to their... Uh, uh, faithfulness to God, right? But there's difference in role of inheritance, right? There's no difference between my sister and I in in quality of inheritance, but there's definitely a difference in role. So this is how it will be in the age to come in which there's 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 no difference in salvation, and there's no difference how a Jew versus a Gentile receives salvation. Both are on the basis of faith. But there is a difference in role of salvation, and administration of that. And so, uh, uh, 
there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God doesn't show favoritism. And then uh, Romans 3, is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, the God of the Gentiles too, since there's only one God who justifies the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. So again, when you're working through the, the New Testament, we have to have in mind that they had, they had something like this in mind when they thought of the age to come, right? And the strange thing is Romans 4 through 8, right? The strange thing is not Romans 9 through 11. Like everybody talks about how Romans 9 through 11 is kind of like this weird thing with Israel and like thrown in. No, like Romans 9 through 11 is not the strange thing in their minds. The, the, the strange thing is he's not only the God of the Jews. He also cares about the Gentiles, right? And he wants them to be saved. And, and so that's what's being worked through. And then you get to Romans 9 through 11, and it's just a reaffirmation of what is normal to everybody already at that point. Which then culminates in, in Romans 11. We'll work through more of that uh, uh, later. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of the forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So again, the question is, what are the gifts and calling of God? Romans 9, theirs is the temple worship. Theirs is the covenants. Theirs is, and what are these about? Well, they're, they're about roles in the age to come of how eternal life will, will, uh, will uh, be governed, administrated. So uh, it's not only a transnational, many nations in the age to come. It's not only Israelitic, right, uh, in which you have uh, oriented around uh, Israel and one ethnicity, but it's also Jerusalemic or a Jerusalocentric. Right? It, it, it orders around a particular city in the age to come. And uh, so Psalm 102, You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come, for her stones are dear to your servants. Her very dust moves them to pity. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All kings of the earth will revere your glory, for the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. <clears throat> in that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens and above on the earth below, right? We've worked through this <clears throat> last session. <clears throat> but the Lord will sit, uh, the Lord will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before its elders gloriously. So... Um, and then Isaiah 65, Behold, I'll create a new heavens and new earth. So how will the new heavens, what will be the focal point of the new heavens and new earth? It goes on, The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. I will create Jerusalem to be a delight for its people, a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem, take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. So then this gets reiterated in... Revelation 21, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down, no more weeping and crying, where you get this uh, uh, pulled from. And, and again, what ends up happening is people end up reading you know, Revelation 21 and 22 on its own, and, and then you, you take the ethnicity out of it, you take the, the kind of new earth reality out of it, and it just becomes this floating city in the sky with the harps, right? And so this isn't the this isn't how like and I'm not dogmatic about this but what we we need to have a a biblical theology that's based on how God has declared things are and then we interpret visions and dreams in light of that right so we don't interpret Daniel that there's coming this huge monster with iron teeth and it's got these horns sticking out of it that's going to rise upon the earth and make images of itself all of it. like we, we interpret that that there's going to be a demonized man that's going to have a, a 
a multinational kingdom that's going to oppress Israel and there's going to be wars going on, this, that, and the other, right? We don't interpret the, you know, the <clears throat> the two million man army, you know, with horse heads and stinger tails going out and flying all over the earth, right? We we interpret that as, as the armies of the Antichrist and, and demonized uh, enforced and we interpret the vision according to the reality of redemptive history so likewise i would argue let's just let's interpret revelation 21 22 in light of what it's quoting it's quoting isaiah 54 it's quoting specifically like the verses it's quoting isaiah 60 it's going isaiah 62 and isaiah 65 like these are the three main where you get all the walls and with the stones and and uh and the light that doesn't ever go out, and the nations coming, bringing their glory in and out, and no more death and crying pain, and and so let's not let's in, let's not interpret it in in a in a ethereal way. Let's interpret the vision as a vision, and that the Messiah is going to come and adorn Jerusalem, like he like it says in Isaiah 62, as his bride, and that's what the vision's about. Okay, <clears throat> that's my little thing. It comes down out of heaven like a floating pyramid city. I hope you get to ride on it if you want to. Awesome. That's just my kiss to those who disagree. <laughs> um, so uh, I, uh, Matthew five. This is this is assumed. You know, again, you get the dynamic of the, of the mechanics sitting around talking about, and then you got the country club boy who comes in who's never been in a mechanic shop. What are you guys talking about? You know, it's like. Jesus is teaching along in a prophetic manner in the Sermon on the Mountain. You get the, don't swear by heaven for it's the throne or by Jerusalem for it's the city of the great king. This is just said in passing because it's obvious that Jerusalem is the city of the great king, right? From Psalm 48. And this is how God has ordained it, right? Because it wasn't, it was just some fortress of the Jebusites until David came along and took it over, right? And then, it, then God made a covenant with this man. And said, you'll build a kingdom from this city, and you'll build a house for me. Your seed will build a house for me in this city, and I'll raise it up. And, and so admit, redemptive history by the covenants is administrated accordingly. And so it becomes Israelocentric because there's a covenant with a guy and his offspring. And then it becomes Jerusalem-centric because God makes a covenant with a guy and his offspring. You see what I'm saying? And these are the primary dynamics of how the age to come is framed based on these primary covenants, which are reflected in the Messianic titles. What are the three Messianic titles for Jesus? Son of Adam, son of man, same word, Adam, man. Son of Abraham, son of David, right? Because these are the main three covenants that frame out in a prophetic manner, how the age to come will 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 unfold, right? And then, therefore, uh, how we anticipate it. So it's the Davidic throne. So when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you or your seed. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Isaiah 9, for, un, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, etc. The increase of his government and his peace, there'll be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice, with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. And in Psalm 132, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He's desired it for his dwelling place. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. So again, you get it oriented around there's a there's a there's a seed to come an offspring to come that will sit on your throne and then all the language of the day of the lord attached to it and so it's assumed that then after the day of the lord the age to come will be administrated from that davidic throne in jerusalem 
to Israel, to all the nations of the earth. Uh, Amos 9, In that day I'll restore David's fallen tent, I'll repair its broken places, restore its ruins, and build it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Eden and all, Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. So then you get this, you know, in, in Acts 15, this is the one that's quoted. And, like, I'll read commentaries, and it's just like they'll say, see, this proves that Jesus inaugurated uh, a spiritual kingdom at the first coming. And and he, he viewed the Gentiles as the fulfillment of the Davidic tent, you know, kingdom. And I'm just like, no. It says this agrees with Amos. That there's Gentiles coming at the rebuilding of the... Th- it's not fulfilled. It's not fulfilled. I guess it agrees. Totally different word. It's like, look, it, they're just saying, look, this is how the age to come is going to be. Why are we making it hard for the Gentiles that are going to be saved by the Lord and they receive the deposit of the Spirit? So why are we making it difficult on them? Laying on them a burden that's and difficult for us, you know, and it's not, a, it's, salvation is not according to that burden anyway, so let's make it easier on them. Anyway, so uh, Luke 1, the angel said to Mary, Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And then as he's coming into Jerusalem, and they're all expecting expecting it to happen. They came shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So again, there's never any, there's never any idea or, or there's never any subversion of the common assumptions of how the age to come will, will, will play out. Right? There's never any like, well, you know, there's this kind of Jewish, this kind of carnal Jewish idea of a messianic king that's going to rule in Jerusalem over Israel, over all the nations of the earth, and all the nations will go up, you know, Isaiah 2, the law will go forth from there. But that was just kind of, you know, a nationalistic, you know, false nationalistic hope that, no, 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 none of that is, there's never any uh, rejection of any, that there's always an acceptance of all that. There's just a... There needs to be a sacrifice before that salvation. You understand? 